This is the Word Talk Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Word Talk Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Marriage of Boaz and Ruth, and it comes from Ruth 4. Christian radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in expense of keeping the Word Talk Bible class on the air as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you are helping reach people listening in our area and over the internet. You can make a donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information over the phone or send us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Well, today I hope to wrap up with the book of Ruth. We've already gone through the first three chapters. Today we'll go through chapter four. But I'd like to ask you, I'm a big golf player. I love to play golf, even though I'm not any good at it. But one of the things we always play on the first hole, you get a do-over. And what we see out of the book of Ruth is here's a family that made a bad decision, yet they turn back to God after things go horribly wrong, and they get a do-over. For those that have not listened to the first three lessons, it'd be good to go back and hear those. And you can either hit me directly at tcarter12 at gmail.com and I can send you links to those. Or you can go to my Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash Tim Carter. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash Tim Carter. So what we saw in chapter one, there was this man named Elimelech and he made the decision to leave Bethlehem. Bethlehem stands for the house of bread. Now, what we saw was there was a famine in the house of bread. So down the road, the Moabites and Moab, there was plenty of, of land and there's plenty of crops growing. And so Elimelech makes the decision to take his family and move to a pagan land to leave the promised land. Now, remember that Bethlehem is in the promised land. Now, at the time, Bethlehem is really the small city. It's not known yet. We know that King David comes out of Bethlehem. And even more importantly, we know that Jesus is born out of Bethlehem. The Messiah is born out of Bethlehem. But right now, we don't know that. And so he makes the decision. He moves his family. While he's there, his two sons marry Moabite women. He dies. His two sons die. And so you have Naomi, you have Orpha, and you have Ruth. Naomi says, look, I'm going back to my people, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem, I'm going to go back to God's people, and you stay here. Y'all are young, you can get remarried, you can have a family, but I'm going back. We know Orpha, she says, okay, I'm leave. I'm going to go back to my family, and we don't hear any more about her. Ruth says, no, I'm not going back. Your family is my family. Your people are my people, and I will stick with you until my death. So we see that Ruth makes that commitment and they move back. And at the very end of chapter one, we see that the barley harvest comes. So the famine is gone. This is over a 10 year period. And now there is a harvest of barley. Now in chapter two, we saw the invisible hand of God and we saw how it just so happened that Ruth goes out to gleam in the field and she just so happens to go to this field this field just so happens to be a kin, which is Boaz. 
It just so happens that Boaz is a near relative. It just so happens that Boaz finds favor with her kindness and her commitment to her mother-in-law and what they've been through, and he wants to take care of them. It just so happens that he gives extra instructions. Let her glean behind you. Leave a little extra for her because they need it. Even though there was the hand of God going on, even though that it looked like everything was going to work out with this favor from Boaz, Boaz doesn't have the wrong intentions. But what we see in chapter 3 is Naomi says, my daughter Ruth, it is time for you to get married. I'm not willing to wait any longer on God. I'm not going to pray about this. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what to do. She tells Ruth to get dolled up, put on your best perfume, put on your best looking dress. And I want you to go up to the threshing floor, which would have been outside the city. I want you to go in the middle of the night where we know that Boaz and his men will have been drinking and they'll be merry. And I want you to go lay at his feet. This is a terrible idea. There is so much that could have gone wrong with this. But we see that Naomi takes it in her own hands and she sees the blessings of God that they're getting. So she says, this must be the favor of God. So I'm going to go ahead and just speed things along. And we see, though, that Boaz, a man of character, he is a man's man. And he makes the decision. And he says, look, there is a closer relative than me. I will go and take the process. I will go through the process, but I am not going to get out of God's will. I'm not going to put you out of God's will. And we're going to wait and see how this all plays out. I will go to the closest relative and see if he wants to redeem you. If not, I will. Instead of sending back with a diamond ring, he sends back with roughly 100 pounds of of grain telling Naomi, hey, I'm going to take care of you. Your family's going to be okay, but I don't want to risk a reputation. I don't want to risk the danger, and I am going to do this the right way. I'm going to do it God's way. I want what God wants for this family. And that's where we pick up today. So let's look at Ruth chapter 4. We'll start with verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1, and then we'll go on. I'll also be reading out of the ESV. So Ruth 4 verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And we'll stop right there for now. So what we see right here in verse 1 is that Boaz is trying to do everything right. He's going to go bring this in the open. He's going to bring it to the council of the city. Boaz was a respected man. He was a wealthy man. He was well-educated. He was someone that people would come to in this small town of Bethlehem. So Boaz goes to the gates and he sits there. And this is where business happened during the day. So he's sitting there at the gate and look what it says about halfway through. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And behold, this is another one of those, it just so happens that this Redeemer comes by. The writer wants us to understand that this wasn't normal for this guy just to come by. This person was a closer relative, so he would have had first rights to marry Ruth and redeem the field or the land that Naomi was going to have to give up. And Boaz is sitting there waiting on him, and he just so happens to come by. So as this guy walks by, Boaz looks at him and says, Hey, friend. 
sit down over here. Now, if you look at that word in the Hebrew, it's really not the friend like we think. This is more of a business conversation. It's like, hey, you, I want to do business with you. So sit right here and let me make a proposition with you. Let me talk to you about this business. So it's not as warm as you might just casually read through this where it says, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. But the man was a businessman, so he decides to sit down and hear what Boaz has to say. Now, one thing I want you to catch is that in this chapter, this redeemer, this closer relative is never mentioned by name. And we'll discuss that in more detail, but I want you to catch that. It says that the redeemer, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz has spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. So nowhere do we hear his name. And as we go through here, you'll see that he's never named. Now let's continue with verses two through four. Look with me at the ESV version. And then he took 10 men of elders of the city and said, sit down here. So he gathers 10 men. He tells them, sit down. We're about to do business. So they sat down. And then he said to the redeemer, again, notice he's not named, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here or in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And we'll stop right there. So the first thing we see is Boaz knows what he wants to do. He's a businessman, and he says, okay, I'm going to grab these 10 men. We're about to do business I want to bring it to your attention that Naomi's back from Moab and she has this land that she wants to sell. Now, the land really wasn't her to sell, but a relative had to buy it back. It was a way to take care of those that had made a bad decision or had a loss. Instead of losing the promised land to foreigners, it was kept inside the clan. There's an opportunity for them to help this situation and God put that in place for us. He doesn't want anybody to lose. A lot of times we lick our wounds after we have a loss, but we don't go back to God and we don't ask for help. And we see, we can go back to Leviticus 25 and we can see how this was all laid out and how it's supposed to happen. And so here we have this redeemer first who's not done what he's supposed to do, like it says in Leviticus 25. And therefore we notice he's not named at all. But here we see Boaz wants to do what's right. He likes Ruth. He wants to marry Ruth. He wants to redeem Ruth and, and Naomi. He wants to own this land and he wants to take care of this family. So he brings this redeemer, this closer relative up on what is going on. Now, again, as a closer relative, he should have known about Elimelech. He should have known that Elimelech had died. He should have already reached out to Naomi and Ruth and said, hey, how can I help you? What can I do? I'm your closest relative. And we noticed that that hadn't happened, that Boaz has to tell him about it. And so he says in verse four, so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of these people sitting here. So now we have a business court going on. And he's saying, we're about to get down to business. You're either going to buy this or I'm going to buy it. We need to make this a public announcement. Another thing I want you to see right here is he says, buy it or let me know. Right now, Boaz is doing all this to take care of Naomi and Ruth. Yes, he wants to marry Ruth. He said that. 
But Boaz is not the closest relative. He might be able to do it, but there is a closer one that could wind up marrying Ruth and buying the land and stepping up and fulfilling the right that that person has. But he is a godly man. He has godly character, and we see that he wants what's best for Ruth and Naomi, even if he doesn't get to buy the land and he doesn't get to marry Ruth. So Boaz puts this man on the spot, and he says, if you're going to redeem it, make it publicly known now, redeem it, or otherwise I'm going to, because there's no one closer than you. After you, I have the right, and I'm going to do it. And this man says, okay, I'll redeem it. And immediately everybody goes, no, that's not the right choice. We want Ruth and we want Boaz to get married. This, No, this can't happen. No, this man had all the right to do it. But Boaz was smarter than the average person, I think, because look how he finishes when we get into verse 5 and verse 6. Verse 5 and 6. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right in redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And again, we'll stop right there. So what happens is Boaz says, well, hold on. Now, you said you want to redeem it, but when you do buy this land, you also have to take Ruth as your wife and you get Naomi, this mother-in-law that is not a cranky old lady that you may not want. And immediately when this guy realizes, again, he doesn't understand apparently what's been going on because he, he doesn't understand that Ruth comes along. He just wants to buy the land. He just says, hey, yeah, I'll buy a business for pennies on the dollar and I'll redeem this land because in the long run, I'll make money off of it. But soon as some additional baggage comes along with it, he says, nope, 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 nope. I don't want it. It's going to mess up my inheritance. As a matter of fact, this redeemer, one of the reasons why he isn't named, the theologians and the commentary say that the reason why he isn't named is because he didn't step up and do his honor and his duty that he had as a Jewish person and the right that he was supposed to do from Leviticus 25. And matter of fact, this guy has an eye problem. Look at verse 6. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So we see right there he has three eyes. He has a couple of myself and my. This guy had an eye problem. It was all about me. It was all about I, I, I. This guy was all about himself. That's why he didn't know what went on with Ruth. He didn't know what went on with Naomi. He didn't know about Elimelech dying. That's why he didn't even know that they were back in the city. And this that Boaz had to come to him is because this guy was only concerned about himself. He was the guy that shows up and he, you know, it's all about him. It's all about me. And it's not about helping others. This closest redeemer is only interested in himself. He's only interested what is going to benefit him. And too many times we are the same way. We go to church and we want church to sing the music we like. We go to church, we want the preacher to preach the right amount of time that we like. We want to go to church, there should be just enough prayer when we think that's enough prayer. Everything should be about us. It should be about my kids. It's about me. And what we should learn right here is here is a Jewish man that is left out because it's all about him and he's not concerned about others. 
The whole Bible is about loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. This is just as important as the other. We see that here is a person that doesn't love their neighbor just as much as themselves. They only love themselves. What I want you to understand that God has trouble blessing those that are only about themselves. Someone that is too stingy with their time, too stingy with their money, too stingy with anything unless it, it helps them. God has trouble blessing that. Look what Proverbs says. I want to read it out of the New Living Translation, Proverbs 11, 24 through 26. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in a time of need. See, we see this man right here is one of those that is stingy and he's going to lose everything. Listen to what the psalmist wrote. Psalms 37:20. Generosity gets it all in the end. Stingy is cut off at the pass. Some of you are missing your blessings today because you only care about yourself. I can't give this money because I need it. I need it. I need it. Did you hear that? I need it. No, you don't need it like you think you do. Where are you putting your trust? You're putting your trust in yourself. And God is saying, I want you to give it to me and put your trust in me and see if I won't bless you. And Jesus talks about this as well in Matthew 12, where he talks about the widow who gave all that she had. People were coming in and putting money into the temple treasury. A lot of rich people came in and threw in large amounts, but they didn't give sacrificially. But the poor widow who came in, she gave everything. It was only two coins, but she gave everything. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They only gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all that she had to live on. What Jesus is teaching us is that she put her trust in God. She put her money there. She gave everything out of her heart. Other people gave out of duty. I would challenge you, don't be like this redeemer. Don't be like the person that's about I. Don't have an I problem like this man had, this closest relative. What we need to be is like Boaz. Boaz was a busy man. He was the CEO of this company. He was very busy, but did he take the time? Did he care about people? Did he look to make sure the widows were taken care of? And he did. He did the right thing. He had God's heart. He is an example. He is a foretelling. He's a foreshadowing of the Redeemer that will ultimately come. That's Jesus Christ that gave sacrificially just like the widow. We need to be like Boaz and not this closer Redeemer. Let's go on and see how Boaz now makes a public announcement. Let's start with verse 7. Now, this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of testing in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witness this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belongs to Elimelech and all that belongs to Chilion and the Mahalan. Those were the two sons that died. 
And also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahalan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are my witnesses this day. Let's stop right there. There's a couple things we need to see in verses 7 through 10. What we see first is that Boaz had kept his word. He was going to redeem Ruth and Naomi. He was going to do what was right. He was going to make sure that they were taken care of if this closer redeemer didn't. The second thing we is, we like we said earlier, this closer redeemer shucked his responsibility. Once again, he turns and he leaves them for straw. He says, no, I can't do this. I can't do it. He even goes as far to pull his sandal off. This is an act of disgrace. Back in that time, this would have been a disgraceful mode to pull that sandal off and raise it in front of everybody to say, I'm not going to do what I am legally responsible for doing. He is publicly announcing that he is stepping out of the way. He's not going to own his responsibility. And therefore, this gives Boaz the opportunity to do it. This is an act of disgrace, yet he does it. That shows you how much he is set into his own world, into his own act. It also shows us, again, the heart of Boaz. It shows us that Boaz does what's right. He holds him accountable. He goes through the proper process. He goes before the city and he says, I want everyone to see that this man is disgracing himself and he's giving up his right and I'm going to buy that right. I am going to perpetuate the name of the dead. I am going to take care of Elimelech's family, and I'm going to buy the land, and I am going to marry Ruth. Now look what what happens at verse 11 through 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthy in Ephrathim and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So the people say, thank you for doing what is right, and because you're doing what's right, we bless you, we bless Ruth. Now understand, Ruth is not even a Jewish woman. She is a pagan person. She came from Moab. She's a Moabite. But they say, may she be like Rachel and Leah. Remember, these are the mothers of the 12 tribes, and they are putting a blessing on a pagan woman, a Moabite woman, who has come under and is worshiping God now. She's with the Jewish people. She's doing all the Jewish rites. But they give her a blessing the same as the 12 tribes. And may your house be blessed just like Perez's house. If you go look at verses 18 through 21, we see the lineage of King David. We see that Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram a Melabite, and a Melabite and a Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salom, and Salom fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. We know that Jesus comes out of the lineage of David, and that's even prophesied. So right here, we see this prophetic word that is spoken over this marriage that is going to happen, and a blessing that is given to this marriage because that Boaz agrees to marry Ruth. Let's look at verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. 
Then the women said to Naomi, notice they don't say it to Ruth, they say it to Naomi. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Again, it's to Naomi, not to Ruth. They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. A couple of things I want to point out. One is Ruth was barren for 10 years. We know it was over a 10-year period that, they, that the sons moved. We don't know exactly when they died, but for 10 years, she's not been able to have a child. Boaz marries her, not even knowing if she can have children. The Lord blesses them. They conceive, and she bears a son. And now not only does she have a son, but she is a Moabite woman that is going to bear the son that eventually that Jesus will come out of. And King David is born out of. The women tell Naomi, blessed be the Lord, who you said had left you, who you were upset with, who you said call me more because he has acted bitter on me, has now blessed you with Ruth being married by Boaz and he has given you a restore of life. He has given you someone who will nurture you. He will take care of you in your old age. Your daughter-in-law who loves you more than any son you could have ever had, your daughter-in-law that loves you that much is going to take care of you. And this son that was given is going to take care of you. And may you be blessed because of it. I'm really out of time already. So here's what I will finish up with. I want you to understand that there are faith statements that are made after this marriage. The blessings, the statements that are made speak words. The words that come out of your mouth. A lot of times we say the wrong things. A lot of times we don't speak blessings. Our children hear about how dumb they are. Our children hear about how stupid they are. Our children hear about how they've messed up. Instead, we should get up every day telling them how we love them, how smart they are, how blessed they are, how loved they are. We need to tell them how strong they are in the Lord and how the Lord goes with them and how blessed they are. We need to understand that there is power in the tongue. We talked about this as we studied James and how we can't control the tongue and how things can't come back. There have been so many lives that have been torn apart. There are so many lives that have been destroyed by the tongue. There are so many things that have happened that we need to be careful on what we say and how we speak. We need to speak life into people. You don't know. You have no idea what careless things that have been said to someone, and you really may not have even meant it, but to them, they took it. You said something in a moment, you didn't even mean it critical, but they took it and they buried it inside and it defined who they were. They let those words define who they are. A careless statement at one time can be so damaging. So we have to be careful what we say. We see the blessings that these people speak over Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. What I would tell you is bless those around you. Be a blessing. Speak blessings over people. Don't speak critical words. I'm completely out of time now, so here's what I will finish with. 
we see a family that makes a bad decision. They decided to leave the promised land and go to a faraway pagan land. They chased after a dream, and it seemed like a good decision. And sometimes in life we make that good decision, or so we think, and things turn out horribly wrong, just like it did here. The father dies, the two sons die. But we see a crucial point, that Naomi decides to turn and go back to her people and turn and go back to God. There is someone listening today. This, this series has been about turning back to God and the blessing, the invisible hand of God that he has when we turn to him. And I'm telling you today, there is someone that needs to hear that God is wanting to show favor to you. Turn back to him. You've left his people. Come back home. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for inspiring Samuel or whoever wrote this book for writing this book and giving us not just a love story, but showing your providence, showing us your miraculous, invisible hand of a good God that can take something that is bad and make it ultimately good by letting things just so happen in that divine appointment time to come to pass. Lord, I pray right now for the one listening that has made decisions. Maybe they got they made a bad decision and they lost their land. They lost their wealth. They lost their loved one. Maybe they lost their marriage because of a decision. Lord, the devil wants them to feel like there's no hope. But your word tells us that we are all precious in your sight. Lord, your word tells us that we matter. Lord, I pray right now that they would turn back to you and understand that no matter how bad things look, no matter how bad things have got from that one decision, that if we'll turn back to you, that you are the good God that you are. You are a good father and you have a blessing for us. And your providence will take a decision and make it better. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you today. Lord, I pray for them. Lord, that they would come to know you. Lord, I pray that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. They would believe that you died on the cross, that you rose again, you shed your blood for them, and they ask you to be Lord of their life. They ask you to come in their life, and they are going to walk under your guidance, and they're going to walk under your teaching. They're going to be a follower of you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.